It's a show about change. Welcome to Bob's Basement. Here's your host, Bob Willett. Welcome to episode six of Bob's Basement. It's December 3rd, 2020. Well, that'll be the publication date. Do you call it publication? Release date, I guess. The release date for this particular podcast. Thank you so much for listening via whatever venues you do. It is a podcast about change and what a year we have had when it comes to change. One of the things that I've been asked since putting this together is would I consider myself or am I aiming to be an expert in change? And the interesting thing about that is I've never considered myself an expert at anything. I am uh, I'm one of those jack-of-all-trades. My entire broadcast career, I've kind of been able to do a little bit of everything. And deep inside my own soul, I've never felt I've been great at any of it. So this podcast is helping me to identify the things that I hopefully am great at. I heard a great quote the other day that your reputation doesn't belong to you, but your talent does. So own your talent and let your reputation be what it's going to be because other people, they're the ones who are going to decide that. My guest today is a man whose reputation has had many different turns throughout his career. His name is Jake Gold. He was the original manager of the Tragically Hip, the biggest band in Canada ever. For 17 years, he was the Tragically Hip's manager. For 17 years after that, he was not the Tragically Hip's manager. He was fired, and it was not pretty. Then he became the Tragically Hip's manager again just recently. It's a great story. It's a great story about change, and during that time, you would probably also know Jake as the judge from Canadian Idol. Six seasons of Canadian Idol on CTV in Canada. Jake Gold joins me in Bob's basement. Joining me virtually in Bob's basement today is a Canadian artist manager. He's also been a television star. His name is Jake Gold. Jake, thanks so much for taking the time to come on and coming into my basement virtually. Nice to see you, Bob, in nice basement. Thank you. Thank you very much. We first met... Well, I was producing the Humble and Fred show at Mix 99.9. You used to come in weekly. You came in weekly on the show, on a morning show, because you were a judge on Canadian Idol. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, In fact, fact, that whole idea was my idea. To come in to do morning shows? Well, no. What we did is we we syndicated the show. Right. This kind of after Idol thing for radio. But part of the deal was I did it with um, I did it with uh, uh, Leslie Soldat, right? So and, and Jean Marie. So we syndicated it across the country, and um, and then but part of the deal was was that I would also go into certain stations live. So I would call into Montreal, yeah, and I would go visit you guys. And then there was your sister station. Was it CHFI? No, was, it was Easy Rock. It would have been Mike Easy Cooper. Rock. Mike Cooper would have been doing the show there. Right. Yeah. So I would have, I, and I would have done two two bits yeah. there. Yeah. 
um, on 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 uh, Thursday, whatever it would always be the day after. Yeah, so if the show was on Tuesday, it'd be like Wednesdays or something. You would come on, yeah, or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, I can still. I, but, so that's where we first met. I think we. I forget what it was called. Jake's Idol Wrap Up something or something. Like, yeah, we, we, whatever it was called. And, the, I, and um, but it was my idea because I I went to the CTV and the Insight people and I said, you know, I can put together this syndicated show. And they were like, yeah, just go do it. They didn't even want to hear about it. So this yeah. had nothing to do with the TV people. The TV people didn't do this. You did this on your own with Orbit Media. Yeah. Well, well no, it was, was SoundSource. Oh, SoundSource, which became Orbit Media. Okay, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're, get, we're, yeah. Getting, we're getting really technical in the, uh, in, the, in the broadcast world here right out of the gate. So you yeah, did so this. It was, you, with, so, it was with Jean-Marie and Solda and Leslie, who I had a great relationship with because right. I used to do all those SoundSource things with the hit. Right. So... I always did syndicated stuff with them and, and it was like, it was my thing. Like, and, and what we would do, interestingly enough, is they would send a recording crew with a small setup to the idol show, uh, uh, after the results show. Okay. And they would send a crew, um, to, uh, to, to, it was always me and one other judge or me and Ben. Right. And we would talk about that night's show. They would record that. This was like at the actual show. We'd find a room for them to do it in. And then they would record that, package it, put it out over the air the next morning. And then I would do just those four radio stations live. So I think I called Hamilton. Yeah. And I called Montreal. And I did the two in person in Toronto. That's pretty. It was whole, my my idea. Well, you're pretty ahead of your time because if you think about after you know the the success of things like the Talking Dead, you know after the Walking Dead was on, they'd have these live shows all the time, which right. came many years later. So you're pretty ahead ahead of the curve there with that idea and the whole idea of uh, a fan or I mean you had an inside scoop, but of a breakdown of the show afterwards. It's uh, um, it was a huge, hugely successful and a very, uh, very popular part of our show on the Humble and Fred show at the time. But I want to go back because this is a podcast about change. And I want to ask you, how does, and you mentioned it yourself, the, the manager of the Tragically Hip. I think at that point you were not the ma- manager of the Tragically Hip. Oh, no, they fired me in 2003. Oh, this is what I, I and, and then And within two weeks. Um, I got this call to do Idol. Right. So that which I never which I probably never would have even thought about. Wouldn't have considered or done it. No. had I still been managing the band. Right. But because they because uh, you said as they fired you, your 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 relationship ended, you had the opportunity to do it. What did that do for your uh, like obviously talk about highs and lows within a couple of weeks. Did you know that the end was coming with the band at that time? Hmm. I don't know if I knew the end was coming, per se. I wouldn't say that. Um, it, it was it was a tenuous time for everybody. Sure. <laughs> Bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was definitely a tenuous time. So to say the least. yeah, and so they the. How, how, however, it goes down, whether it's uh, in person or a phone call, or because I know the band was. No, we we had a we had a meeting, and they I didn't know what was the. We were, oh. I thought we were having a meeting about something else. I've had then, those meetings before. <laughs> yeah. You so, get called in and you're like, oh. But, you know, when they first approached me for Idol, I turned them down. You did? Yeah. 
And uh, what was your headspace like at that time? You're only a couple weeks removed from basic from being the manager of the biggest band in Canada. Yeah, well, I, I just didn't. Um, I didn't know if I wanted to be a television person, right? Because I spent my life on the other side of the camera. You're behind the scenes. You're, you're in management, right? Yeah, and I didn't. I, I didn't really know if I wanted to be a part of a show that musically had nothing to do with what my life was about, right? Pop, right. Yeah, you, you're also you also manage bands like The Watchmen and uh, The Big Wreck. So yeah. definitely more on the can rock side, as we call it, right? Uh, more more on the well, rock I side. would just say the rock side. Yeah, yeah, you, you would. Know? I would too. But radio singer people. songwriters, you know, I worked with Andrew Cash, yeah. and I always worked with like you know singer songwriters, um, creators. Yeah, this was a show not about creators. You know, it was it Performers. was about people who who sang other people's songs. Yeah. Um, but um, but I, I remember I turned it down. It was a, an agent, Steve Herman, approached me and asked me if I wanted to do it. And I said, no, I don't think so. And then, um, but they wouldn't stop. And then I, I uh, remember said to my now ex-wife, I said, um, yeah, they want me to do this show. And she said, you should do it. You'll be good at it. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll, I'll take a meeting with them. So I called Steve back and I said, yeah, I'll take a meeting with them. Right. So uh, I took a meeting and um, it was really funny because I went in there and then they said, uh, do you want to hear some singers? And I was like, uh, yeah, okay. And they walked me into the basement of their offices and they had a whole studio set up. Nice. And... And uh, they sat two of the producers on either side of me as if we had a panel. Right, right. And they handed me like these cheat sheets that say there's, you know, Sue from Saskatoon. And and then they these singers came in and then I had to like, wow, do this, this is your first them. meeting. They did this. We had the meeting and then they just said, wow. let's go hear some singers. That's crazy. So I just, you know, communicated, asked them questions everything and then they would sing and then i would make my comments but they had cameras and everything yeah. set up in there like a full studio it was, yeah. it's a small room but yeah. you know like like your basement probably probably right? yeah and um and i remember walking out and the camera guy as i'm walking out says to me by the way you were the best guy we had in here nice have you done this before and i was like no <laughs> and uh but I kind of do it every day, you know, people play me music and I do meetings with them and I ask them questions. And, but I found out after, because I was asking them questions that were, it was like, Oh, you're from here. Maybe, you know, so-and-so I found out after they were all musical theater people who were acting. They were in as Sus Susie from Saskatchewan. They were in character. <laughs> <laughs> character so it's like they come in and purposely sing bad or purposely you know oh. and it was like just to see what my reaction was right that was the audition process so what an interesting um, way to audition because you would i guess what they would do is have each of those people do the exact same thing for all the judges that would so you could see what the reaction was and have right. and have an apples to apples comparison well but then i don't know about the rest but then they called us called me back right and it was there was six of us. Okay. Um, and they took turns with panels, different you know, different combinations. With these two, then we're going to have you with these two, and so on and so forth. 
to see how the the chemistry was. Right. Right. And it was the same process. Crazy. And uh, and and then they they did something very. The, it was a real learning experience for me because they did something very interesting. Is when it was the six of us. They negotiated with us before they told us if we had the gig. <laughs> so right? you, you knew what you were going to get before you got it. Is that what you're saying? Like, <laughs> yeah, but they also they they use that as leverage, basically saying. You know, if you over negotiate, we'll just not pick you. Right. Wow. But I didn't. I didn't care. Right. You. You were all right. You were doing this just as a, like as an experiment almost. No, I was doing it basically like if you want me, this is my price. Right. And if, you, if you don't want to pay me that, then I'm not going to do it. Right. And how long did the show last? Six seasons. Did six full seasons, right? Yeah. 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 It ended. Uh, 08 was the last season. So right. 03 to 08. Yeah. yeah. And would you say that? Um, so when you were done that, how was your? How did you? How did you balance? Were you? How were you balance, balancing the management aspect of your career while you were doing the show? I was still managing some acts, and it really wasn't. It didn't take up a ton of time. You know, the first season we went right into right after the Junos. I remember we went right. We were we were informed we got the gig around the Junos in March yeah. in Ottawa that year. And then we literally went right into auditions. Okay. And and where the second season, we had more time. So we started the auditions in late January. So we would, you know, fly out for a couple, two, three days and then come back. Yeah. And then once we were live, it was like literally a couple of evenings a week. Yeah. Like it was down the street from where my office was. Um you know, it was shot on Front Street at Front and Peter. My office was at, you know, or Front and John, like yeah. at the, the convention center. And my office was at Queen and Peter, basically. Just up the street. And and so, you know, um, I would show up at 5, 5.30 for, for, I was the only judge that went to rehearsals. Really? And they wouldn't let me sit in the room during rehearsals, but I'd sit in another room and watch everything on the monitor. Because so you would I, probably you would you would make the contestants a little nervous, I would say, having you there. Yeah, yeah. at first the first time they said they did, and then they came to me and they said, "Can you do it in another room?" I said, "Sure," yeah. because I wanted I wanted to see everything and really like I did my work. You know, I put in the effort. I figured if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. And I remember talking to my 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 business partner, and I told him I was going to do this, and he said, well, "This is a great opportunity for you to kind of." expand your knowledge like learn the tv business as well yeah but also um you know that side of it but also um kind of solidify yourself because i've always only been attached to the manager of the tragically hit right yeah right that role that's who you were right and now i was you know sort of have open up my identity you know? Yeah. Did you change your self? You know, if you're, speaking of that identity, did you make any uh, conscious efforts to change who Jake Gold, the Canadian Idol judge, was versus who Jake Gold, the guy, is? No, but I don't think a lot of people knew who I was. That's true. You know, yeah, yeah. Like, you're like, a behind the scenes guy. Like, obviously, guys in broadcast would know. Guys in uh, television and radio. Yeah, but you know, it's interesting as. Um, uh, you know, as a manager, you're forced to, 
be put, you're forced to take certain stands on behalf of your clients that may not always be um, what everybody else wants. Might not be the most popular. We've uh, right. well, all those those of us in broadcast have heard some stories, Jake. <laughs> yeah, well, that's fine. You know, <laughs> it's it's like he may be an asshole, but he's our asshole. Yeah. You know. Um, <laughs> But sometimes, you know, and I was young and, you know, you know, pretty, pretty committed. Um, so it was an opportunity to kind of show um, who I was as a person. Yeah. Right. In a national level. Right. Um, and so, you know, I had certain rules like I would I told the, the producers that I would never um, I would never say anything to a contestant that I wouldn't say to a client. Okay. Right. Yep. So don't expect me to kind of, you know, um, and, and, and everyone thought I was going to be the mean guy because of my reputation as a manager. <laughs> but the fact was, is we had Zach who was the mean guy. <laughs> and so I, and because, you know, um, the American show had, had a black guy, yep. had a mean guy and had a chick singer. Yeah. Right. Like that was the format. That was the format. Um, and we went with, we went with the British and the Australian format, which was four judges because yep. we needed to differentiate ourselves from, from, uh, from American uh, Idol. Yeah. From American Idol because American Idol was actually seen in our territory where most other idols had weren't seen in other territories. Right. Um, we were the fourth one to do Idol and ended up doing like 40 different countries. Yeah. But um, so I got to just be me because I didn't have to play the tight. Right. I mean, I wouldn't say that Sass and Farley and Zach played the tight, but they were kind of cast to, to be who they were. Right. right? Uh, kind of within that mold of what the expectation of the show had become. E yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so, so, um, uh, I got to just be me and, uh, and being the more senior guy in the business, yeah. you know, and, you know, I came with the reputation of having managed the hip, yep. which was, you know, the show wanted that kind of credible reputation. Yep. And then SAS was a very successful, uh, and still is singer. Mm -hmm. So, uh, the other two weren't really known, although Farley had done some radio with flow and yeah. he was known in his community and, you know, um, uh, it, it gave us a pretty well-rounded uh, panel. It was a good um, one, and it was a good run. It was, it was, it was, um, it was, and it was definitely different than the American show, which I think was really important, right? Well, we actually, you know, we we paved a lot of new roads on that show. Like we were the first in season two to have the contestants actually play instruments, and then the next year they had them play instruments. Yeah. Like every we the stuff we were doing, they followed the next year and yeah. made it seem like they invented it, but it was us who <laughs> yeah. did it first. That's right. That's right. And every time we wanted to do something that hadn't been done, because it was a format show, we had to get it approved. Right. By the people so who they created just the saw show. the Canadian as the experiment to see if it would work. Sure. Right? And if it worked, then they would be like, Oh, we're gonna use that the next year, you know? That's so so you have a good run there. You get six seasons in, and um, and that's after seventeen years with the hip, right? So yeah, not a, you, exactly. So you you're you were the manager of the hip from like 
85 86 like well like what 80, 86 86 yeah. so they they come from kingston they're they're gigging on queen street they're you know no they they had done one or two but not a lot no they were mostly playing around kingston oh at that when you so how did okay so let me just go back you talk about being a, a, a you know i you're you're from Toronto. You're from New Jersey originally, right? Like you're American originally. Yeah, well, I came here when I was two. Two. Yeah. So okay. So yeah. So you're so you're Canadian. So how do you end up finding these guys? I'm sure the story's been told, but talk about big changes. You're in your 20s. Are you a manager at this point? Are you managing yeah, other I, bands? I, I'm a manager, and I started a company with a guy named Alan Gregg. Yeah. And um, Alan had a friend named Hugh Siegel, who was uh, he knew from his political world. Hugh lived in Kingston, and Hugh's brother-in-law was a guy named uh, is a guy named Fraser Armstrong. Okay, and Fraser went to university with the guys. Okay, and I guess what I've heard was he like had a band, so he would be the guy that would help them with their gear and stuff like that. Yeah, and um, and they had made a cassette, and Fraser gave it to Hugh. Hugh gave it to Alan. We listened to it. We said, let's set up a gig to see them. And we set up a gig at Larry's Hideaway, which isn't there anymore, but at, at Jarvis and Carlton. And uh, it was 20 seconds into the first song, and we were like, I looked at Alan. Literally, I turned to him and I said, "We're signing these guys tonight." Yeah, it was, that, it was you knew you knew right was, there. It was it was lightning in a bottle. Yeah. Who were you, you know? managing at the time? Was there was there anybody anybody? I, I had know? a I had a band that was signed to RCA called New Regime. Okay. And then okay. I managed some like sort of cover bands to help pay the bills. Right. You know? Yeah, for sure. Um, and then, okay, so 17 years, you do yeah, as the tragic. I mean, we could talk about those years forever, obviously. Um, but I want to know, I want to fast forward to when Idol ends. And you've got a roster of guys, but you don't have the Tragically Hip. So you you went 17 years being known as the manager of the Tragically Hip. And then you go six years and, hey, you're that guy from, you're the judge from Canadian Idol. Then that yeah. then that ends as well. What mm-hmm. what what change? Yeah, what, but what you're always you- the judge from Canadian Idol. Are you? Are you? Yeah. To this day, I still get recognized all the time. It, yeah. it's, it's, un- it's uncanny on how uh, how much people still know you that way. It's right? it's interesting because um, it doesn't get repeats, right? You know, no, people just it's, remember it's, it from then. Yeah, it's like I mean, I remember sitting at a baseball game talking to my friend, and this guy turns around and goes, "I knew I recognized that voice, like just from the voice." Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And this is like years later, and in yeah. fact, you know, you think like at some point, like think about it, it was twelve years ago was the last show. Yeah, it ended like September '08. And I still get recognized when I go out, which is so surprising to me. You know, I'll be with a friend and someone says, oh, that person recognizes you. I can tell how they're looking at you. <laughs> you know, over time, you. it's they either know me or they're like, why do I know why you? Why do I know you? I know yeah. you. Did we go to school together? <laughs> uh, you look really familiar to me. Did you find when it was done though? Like, did you did you find did you need to fulfill something that was missing? Because again, you're now you're you're always going to be recognized as that guy. But did you did you just bury yourself in more work? Did you take some time off? How did you deal with not no. not being either thing? Not being the you know not 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 at that moment being the managing the biggest band in the country and not being. I mean, you're still a manager. And you're managing some pretty cool bands, and you're not, but you're not on TV now. Did you feel any any uh, emptiness, as it were? Yeah, I mean, there was a certain um, 
there was a certain level of like, okay, now I got to go make a living. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, you're in radio, you get it. Oh, I do. Right? I do. Yeah. That gig, I'm waiting you know, for a you're gig. Going from, you're going from gig to gig and yeah. you're like, okay, yeah. now I got to go make a living. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I was fortunate enough that I'd done well over the years. So it wasn't like, you know, starving. Right. Um, of course. You know, but I put everything back into managing. I had some clients at the time. Um, you know, you, you, you know, from a business standpoint, you assess what you have and you assess, um, the business situation and you make changes to adjust to economics and, you know, you do all the things that you do as a business person. Sure. Um, you take on, you know, I, I taken on some producers, so I, I still manage a bunch of record producers. Um, the same, a lot of the same guys I still manage now. Yep. Um, you know, I manage Mo Berg and I have for years, but I also take care of all any of the business of the pursuit of happiness as well. So, um, uh, you know, I had a band called the clicks who were signed in the U S and we're, and we had a label deal through Warner. Um, I started doing more stuff on, um, advocacy. So I, I, you know, I'm on the SEMA board. I was on the MMF board, um, which is Music Managers Forum. Yep. SEMA is Canadian Independent Music Association. So I started to get more involved in um, industry trade groups and offering my my advice and support and, and being a part of those board of directors. Um, I started doing more of those kind. I guess you could say giving back sure. kind of stuff yeah. after you've built up a 20-something year career, you know? Yeah. I mean, I started in 1981. I'm in my 40th year now. Amazing. Amazing. Right? You've been able to do this for 40 years. How, yeah. How? Okay, so this is going to be a, probably a pretty tough question, but what do you think is the... What do you think has changed the most about being an artist manager over the course of those 40 years? Is there a, one thing or a couple things that you could say um, has changed your, how your role, the role of a manager has changed? You know, it's interesting. A lot of people uh, say, well, managers do more things now than they ever did before because of the nature of the business. Um, interestingly enough, we always were very hands-on um, like we wrote the marketing plans, like, so we never saw the label as, as needing to have them to do everything. Right. Right. So, so we always approach things the same way managers are now forced to approach things. Right. So it's not been, so a that was always, you know, like we, we produce, we put up the money for the first hip record. We put up the money for the first Watchmen record. We put up the money for the first big rec record. Like we always did it that way. Yeah. And then, and, and so, um, it was never, uh, a lot of managers would, you know, over the years sign the act to a label and then label does their part and they just do the man, the other part, but we were always hands on, on everything. And it was more of the same model that, you know, Bernie Finkelstein did with True North and Bruce Coburn and what Ray did with, with Rush and uh, Anthem and, and Ray Daniels, you know. Yeah. So that was kind of – our model was more that model than – so it was always a very DIY independent mentality. So for me, my ethos hasn't really changed that much. Um, I think a lot more managers today are forced to have to do those kinds of things that they never had to before – or 
as a young manager, they're just doing it that way because it's it's now it's a necessity. Right. You know, um, the independent idea. I mean, um, what's changed is the budgets aren't the same that they used to be. That was my next question. The economics, however, obviously have changed. Yeah. So, you know, you don't get as much marketing dollars. Um because the, the you don't get the same marketing dollars and you used to get more marketing dollars uh, from the labels, um, uh, which in turn would help um, would help the um, uh, um, uh, build the livestock. Right. You know, so you'd be on the road, they'd be buying ads and all the weeklies promoting the album and, and tagging your show and everything else. So that would help you build your live site. That doesn't happen as much because there's no print ads anymore. Right. So, yeah. So, but you know, you're now spreading it around through social media there, you know, you're seeing way less kind of organic spending, organic stuff on social media where it's now bought, where you're seeing a lot of Facebook ads, a lot of Instagram ads, you know, the algorithm ads on, on Twitter and yeah. stuff like that. So I guess they're just not spending the same amount. Right. But with good campaigns, with people that know how to buy those kind of ads targeted in the proper way, yeah. you're, you're in a way better position to, um, to, uh, to do that kind of thing. Now, um, it, it's an interesting, it's an interesting, um, uh, 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 marketing uh, uh, aspect of, of the business now. But at the same time, you know, I always say to people, look, you're either good or you're not. You know, like, it doesn't matter what the pipeline is, right? So instead of people buying a CD there or, or, or vinyl, whatever, they're now um, they're now uh, uh, list streaming, streaming it online, yeah. but um, if it's not good, it it doesn't matter. So you still got to be great, but better than good. You got to be great. You got to be amazing. And now there's so much more out there because anybody can put music up. You know, you and I can put something together on a drum machine, and the next day it's up on the DSPs, yeah. right? For sure. So, and, and I mean, so I mean, so what you're saying is what I'm hearing is if it, it still all has to start with a great product, the product has to be great. And, and then when I say the product, that means the music, the band, the package. Do, do you do you find that the package has to be there already like that? Um, you know, you talk about five minutes into seeing the tragically hip for the first time you knew or, or two minutes into the first song that lightning in a bottle obviously that's an extreme example but no but 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 see but that's because we saw the charisma and yeah. we saw how good they were i mean you, that's the start right then you then you work on the songs then you work on all that. i'm not an image guy i'm not an image maker right. i have opinions right you know, I can look at a photo and say, I like that one better than that one. Yeah. But I'm not the packager guy that goes, okay, we're going to put you in these clothes and we're going to get these dancers. And we're, you know, that's not what I do. Right. Right. I work with creators who have a, who have a sense of self. So for me, the important thing is that they have a sense of self. They kind of know who they are. And, and I, and I take their vision and try and, you know, take it to the masses. Earlier, we were speaking a little bit about the difference between American Idol and Canadian Idol and how 
American Idol ended up taking some of your guys' ideas and you know using you guys as the as the experiment show. One of the uh, one of the things that you know if we if you talk about the first of all, congratulations, you are again the manager of the Tragically Hip. We have haven't mentioned that yet during this show. Just this year, dur- amidst this pandemic, amidst all this crazy bad news, you got some pretty great news. You're back with the band, so congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it was 17 years on, 17 years off. That's quite the furlough. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's great. I'm, I'm so looking forward to what, what, what comes next. Obviously, the band has changed, and it's not about touring, uh, but it is going to be about celebrating what they have been and uh, what they still are in the, uh, you know, in the, the great Canadian uh, legend of, of what Canada and Canada, Canadian music is. But one of the things that did elude the band was the, was the American audience or a worldwide audience. I just See, I knew you were going to go there, Bob, but I'm going to I'm going to stop. It's you. a show okay. about change. I wanted to talk to you about change. No, no, but I'm going to stop you there for a second. Okay, okay. okay. Because because um, I think the whole thing is a myth. Okay, fair. All right, all right. It, it's it's and in fact, if you talk to other musicians who toured the U.S. with the hip or toured Europe with the hip and yeah. stuff like that, they will tell you it's a fucking myth. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. What the myth is is everyone expected them to be as big as they are in Canada, in other territories. Right. And that would and and by the way, nobody is as big as they are in Canada. Right. Like nobody. No, 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 no. And so you're saying that was never part of the expectations of the band or the team around them because that's just not realistic. Right. Okay. And so if you if you took their American success. Yep. On its own, on its own merits, without Canada, yep, yep, they would be what most would consider a very successful act. Yep, you know, playing theaters in twenty cities, twenty-five cities around the country, sure. yeah, and go into every major center and do really big business, yeah, right. Um, not arena size, but nope. decent sized sure. business, and in some markets like Chicago and. Obviously, some of the, the, the border, border towns, town. uh, Detroit, but even Buffalo. then, you know, Buffalo, we had radio support. Chicago, we had radio support. Seattle, we had radio support. The, you know, when we will sell tickets, it wasn't just expats coming. It wasn't Canadians coming across the border. It was, right. you know, San Francisco, L.A., New York, like Boston. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Boston, we'd go in and do 3,000, 4,000 people. So if you look at that career, you know, it's, people it's forget great. that yeah. that. That up to here sold two hundred fifty thousand records. Yeah, right. Um, Road Apple sold a couple hundred thousand records. Fully completely sold over three hundred thousand records. Right. You know, so people forget that those were real numbers. That's an interesting angle. I got to admit, I've never, I've never, I've never thought of it that way. That it's almost yeah, impossible. But it was it's, always, it was always compared to Canada. That, that's what I was just about to say. It's almost and, impossible and to band, do that. Right. And here was a band that wrote about Canada yeah. that, first of all, didn't play the game. They didn't play the game. They wouldn't go in and do morning radio. They wouldn't play on radio very seldom unless they could go in as a band. Yeah. They didn't do in stores and record stores. So they didn't do all the same things they didn't do in Canada. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah, for sure. It wasn't yeah, sure. like they were saying to America, we're not going to do that. Yeah. No, it's like they didn't do that, period. We never did. Well, you know, when I brought this up, it's not a criticism. I'm obviously a huge fan of the band. I have uh, had the opportunity. Um, and they weren't video friendly per se. No, fair enough. Right? They weren't an MTV band. When no. you look at 
you know, the, the videos band. that they, yeah, the videos that they did make weren't exactly in the same, you know, ilk as what MTV right. would have been showing at the time. Right. So, um, the, so the band is now, uh, has brought you back on and I know we can't really talk about what's coming up, but can you, can you tell me how, what that means to you, that change in your career? Like, obviously they, they become number one again, don't they? <laughs> no offense to your other clients, but it's the biggest band in the history of Canada. Like this is like, this is all of a sudden going to well, be, no. well, you know, it's, you prioritize your work. Yeah. You know, like it's that, it's that simple. You know what I mean? It's like, um, I've never been afraid of work. I, I work long hours only because I like doing it. Yeah. So it's I don't fun. think of it. I don't actually think of it as work. Yeah. It's pretty fun just, work. Yeah. I, I just do it, you know? So, and I have time for all my clients. Yeah. Um, Let's and, uh, whatever ones take the most time, it's just more time. You yeah. know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't have to prioritize. I think the work prioritizes it, itself. You know, for sure. Um, so it's not like, oh, yeah. In terms of, are they my number one client? In terms of overall revenue and overall uh, amount of time it takes to to do what I need to do on their behalf, yeah. But I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say that my my other clients are suffering as a result. You know, um, but you know, my producer, my producer clients don't nearly take the same amount of, of work to do what I do for them. Right. Um, the pursuit aren't really a touring act or, or anything like they, they, we do gigs every once in a while and we'll put together a reissue every once in a while, but it's, it's not like a big full time and they don't want it to be. They all have jobs. Let me just ask you about your roster or anybody, you know, not even about your roster. Let me ask you about, uh, the situation right now with the world being, um, under the restrictions that, that it is because of uh, COVID-19 and the economics that we kind of alluded to earlier, the economics of the business has changed. Live is such a huge part of how bands make money now. Right. Um, obviously there are people hurting. Uh, are your, are your clients feeling it? Like th things can't be th things are, you said, you know, you mentioned that the pursuit of happiness that, you know, they're not a touring band anymore, but do you have, do you have bands that are, are feeling it quote unquote right now? And if you do, what have you done as their manager to help them out? Not financially, just advice-wise. Um, well, I, I think that, that um, for instance, I have a band called, called Commandeer. They made a record and we're actually just, um, because it's a lot of their success uh, goes around their, their touring aspects. So we're, we're delaying the release yeah. of it. Um, and that's fine with them because they have other things that they can do until that point. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm fortunate that I don't have any clients that are sort of in dire straits per se. Okay. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, colleagues of mine, other managers and other bands that are in dire straits that where they, you know, they they depend on, um, the live side to, to pay their bills, the, the club, the clubs, the clubs are, are such, suffering oh, so much. Um, agents are suffering. Yep. Um, promoters are suffering. Um, so there's a lot of people that are, 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 are suffering in, in that world. Um, I'm, I'm fortunate per good. se that's good. That's good that I'm hear. not. Um, but there are definitely a lot of people that are. 
It's yeah, so, it's, a, it's a crazy situation right now. I mean, I probably wouldn't be doing this podcast if I had not had a contract that came out during a, amidst a global pandemic. Radio's down, like radio radio revenues are down massively, and I know people, a bunch of people lost jobs just last week. So it's not good. Radio, for, radio, and TV. Yeah, yeah, a bunch of TV people. Uh, Rogers, uh, they they got rid of their couple breakfast televisions across the country, and it's been tough. It's uh, yeah. it, it is a tough go for a lot of people right now. Um, let me. I want to, I want to ask you something. Did you? So you had seventeen years of being the hip manager. Seventeen years of not being the hip manager. Now you're the hip manager again. Did you continue to be a fan of the band? Did that change your like during those seventeen years? Were you still listening to the band? Was it hard to listen to the band during that time? Yeah, it probably was. It's interesting because when they did their final tour, yes, um, I had. Um, I had uh, I hadn't seen them live since I worked with them. Wow, that's a long time. And I went to six of those shows. Yeah, and it was great. Yeah, you know, I flew out to Vancouver and I went to two Vancouver shows. Yeah, and I got a chance to hang out with them, which I hadn't in a long time. Yeah, right. And spend you know I had managed Gord on his first two solo records even after I stopped working with the band. So I continued to manage Gord for a while. By the way, Co- yeah. just to interrupt you, sorry, Coke Machine Glow, Honest to God, is one of my top 10 favorite albums of all time. I love that album so much. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. Well, next year's the 20th anniversary of Coke Machine Glow. Is it really the 20th anniversary? Well, I have it on vinyl already. I have the po- the poetry book that goes with it, and I have uh, at least two copies of the original CD, but I'm looking forward to see what the 20th anniversary brings. Right. So you did get to see them. You did get, but you, you admittedly you didn't really. You you, I like to say you. No, it was good. It was good to go see them as a fan. Like I sat in the audience every night. Yeah, and I saw them as a fan, and I I watched every one of those shows with a big smile on my face. I'm you sure know? you did. Do you have a favorite tragically hip album or song? Um, Are you allowed to? <laughs> no, I mean <laughs> live. For for live, yeah. I think my my two favorite live were Locked in the Trunk of a Car and Shoot. Grace Two. Oh yeah, they end, well, Toronto Night Three of the last tour. I I was lucky enough to be there. I was there, and I believe they ended with Grace Two. Uh, I was there. Literally, I was standing side stage. I literally I have standing, chills right now. Just I was thinking standing about side it. stage, like on the ground, yeah. right behind where Billy Ray does the. Uh, uh, was his guitar tech. setup? Is yeah, guitar there. tech. Yep. And Gord, at the end, near the end of Grace Two, uh-huh. came over and looked right and sang right at me. Yeah. It and was, he was like, oh. gave me a nod, like amazing. he saw me standing there. And yeah, that's amazing. That's uh, I could. I mean, I've only had. I only. I met the band a few times, and I met Gord a couple times here and there. And I know anybody who had an ongoing relationship with the band and with Gord specifically talked about just what a phenomenal force he was as a human being. And um, to have him sing to you is a, a moment, I'm sure. Even though you worked with the band for so long, you can tell how how special it must have been. Um, it's funny. I was with a friend, and 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 she thought that he was singing to her. <laughs> Of course he did. <laughs> Look, he looked right at me. It was me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, not really. No, sorry, sorry about that. I know, yeah. I know, we can't go into what's happening with the band next, but um, I hope 
if I am a, a broadcaster at the time and if I am a, a podcaster at the time or maybe both, I hope you can come back on or uh, maybe anybody from the band could come back on and talk about what's going on. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me because... You know, our paths crossed, you know, very briefly for a few years while I was uh, while I was uh, producing the Humble and Fred show at Mix ninety nine. No, but when also also Bob, you forget I managed Crash Karma for those you did two albums, and also and when you were at when you were at Rock ninety four. Yep, we did a lot of stuff with Crash Karma. We did, well, they were they were kind of the only um, uh, rock rock station playing rock music. My, like Q Q was playing classic, classic. and and. The Edge was playing alternative, and you were like, we did shows at you know downtown Toronto, sponsored by Rock ninety four in Oshawa. That's right, know? yeah. Like, and Doug Elliott's still there doing a great job. By the way, my first guest of this podcast was Mike Turner. Mike, uh, Mike was my uh, my first guest of, of Crash Karma. He came on to talk about change and all the different, you know, leaving a to talk about you know leaving a, a very successful band like Our Lady Peace and uh, doing his own thing and now being a producer. Um, and also, you know, the other uh, the other entity that we cross paths with, which we haven't mentioned, with the clicks, is I was the program director of 103.9 Proud FM here in Toronto. Well, that was the first time we yeah, actually that's right. seriously communicated. Yeah, yeah. I and, yeah because and, we were putting them on the air, and, and, and I remember you and I were talking all the time. Yeah, for Luke, that. Lucas so. Lucas Silvera, the lead singer, is a trans man, and actually, I'm, I want to have Lucas on. Lucas and I are friends on Facebook. I'm gonna have. I would like to have Lucas on to talk about change in all its aspects. And uh, anyway, point being, I wanted to thank you because uh, it's a small business, but I think it's a it's, it's a business in which people can forget about people and you haven't you've never done that and i really appreciate it and i appreciate you taking the time to come and talk to me and help me put this together oh anytime man we'll we'll we'll, we'll have lots more to talk about um let's just say in, in, in the coming months yes we will jake gold thank you very much I kind of want to just let the song play. I don't know if I'm allowed. I don't know the podcast rules. I'm Bob. I'm out. Thanks so much. I appreciate you being here. I don't have to say I'm Bob anymore, do I? There's the radio thing. <laughs> I have to reset. I don't have to reset in radio in podcast world. That's funny. Thank you so much. Subscribe. Let your friends know. Let your enemies know. Let anybody know that Bob's Basement is a podcast about change. And if you want to hear about other people's experience with change and the lessons that they've learned, this is the place to hear those kinds of stories. Have a wonderful, wonderful afternoon, evening, day, wherever you happen to be. We got to stop making changes. This has been Bob's Basement. Thanks for listening. Thanks. That's the way it is. For more information, email Bob at bobwillette at gmail.com. That's Bob Willette, like Gillette, with a W. Follow Bob on Twitter at Bob Willette. Bob's Basement is available where you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time. Well, that's the way it is.